Good morning, it's Wednesday the 4th of October and this is Govindraj Ethiraj in transit and otherwise broadcasting or appropriately podcasting from Mumbai, India's financial capital. Our top stories and themes for the day. The World Bank raises India's inflation projection to 5.9% and leaves growth estimates unchanged. Gold and silver prices fall to 7-month lows. What's keeping them down? The dollar gets stronger by the day. How long could it hold? Vedanta puts a full-page advertisement in a mainline newspaper for what should be a shareholder communication. And Indonesia's bullet train goes on rails. This is a core report with Govindraj Ethiraj. Growth, inflation and the rest. Lots of numbers yesterday, some to note and some just to make a note. The World Bank on Tuesday said India's GDP or gross domestic product is projected to grow at 6.3% in 23-24. In its India development update for October, the institution has maintained its growth forecast for the country, having reduced it previously from 6.6% in April. According to the World Bank, India is expected to grow at 6.4%, but that's in 24-25, and 6.5% in 25-26. So you get a general gist of what growth is looking like in India in coming years. But most significantly, the World Bank raised India's inflation projection from 5.2% in its April update to 5.9%. The only good news is that for 24-25, that's the next financial year, inflation has been projected lower at 47 and a year after that at 4.1%. Seems a little far out though. Anyway, the World Bank pointed out that recent spikes in inflation were due to adverse weather conditions and that it will moderate, supported by declining food prices. India's retail inflation levels shot up to 7.8% in July, thanks to a surge in prices of food staples such as wheat and rice, and earlier in June it was 4.8%. So, now inflation has decreased to 6.83 in August, but it's still above the Reserve Bank of India's upper tolerance level. Meanwhile, India's manufacturing activity has dropped to a five-month low in September, according to S&P Global. Its Manufacturing Purchasing Managers Index, or PMI for India, fell to 57.5 in September, the lowest since May. In August, it was 58.6. Pauliana de Lima, Economics Associate Director at S&P Global Market Intelligence, said that India's manufacturing industry showed mild signs of a slowdown in September, primarily due to a softer increase in new orders, which tempered production growth. Nevertheless, both demand and output saw significant upticks and firms noted gains in new business from clients across Asia, Europe, North America and West Asia. S&P Global said that while robust demand supported the production growth, it also added to price pressures, in a report quoted by Business Standard. And among the last few things to also go down today were the stock markets. The BSE Sensex slipped 316 points to close at 65,512, while the Nifty 50 ended 110 points down at 19,529. Now that's yesterday's news. It does look a little gloomier if you take a step back. The BSE Sensex has just gained 1.7% in the last three months, making this the worst September-ended quarter in four years, says the Mint newspaper. This is also apparently true for the BSE 500, BSE All Cap and the BSE Large Cap indices, though the most volatile mid-cap and small-cap indices remained unscathed, according to Mint. 
Now, the Sensex has surged 8.3% during the September quarter last year and nearly 13% in all of 2021. The last time it dropped lower during Q2 being the quarter we are discussing was in 2019, where the returns dipped into negative territory, declining 1.9%. Now, this negative return for the September quarter contrasts with that of the June quarter when the Sensex was up 9.7% and up from the 3% drop that we saw in the March quarter. All of this is according to Mint. But broadly speaking, it is a bit of a seesaw, you might say. Gold and silver prices fall too. I almost forgot there are other things falling too. It looked like gold was on a strong wicket until a few weeks or a month or two ago, but no longer. Gold and silver have now fallen to hit a seven-month low in both domestic and international markets. Gold price, as of yesterday, was quoting around 56,700 per 10 gram levels, lower than its Friday close price, which was a little higher. In international markets, gold was quoting around $1,815 per ounce or levels around that. Rising bond yields and a strong dollar index are seen as the key reasons for gold and silver being pushed down. So let's stay with gold for a moment and address gold and the dollar separately. So why are gold prices falling and what does the near term look like? Remember, this is the festival season, so you could be buying instead of bemoaning the falling prices. I reached out to Saif Rahiman Mukaddam, research analyst at ICICI Securities, who focuses on gold and I began by asking him why prices were falling like this. If you go to see right now the gold prices we see from July, it has come down by 7.1%. The major reason behind us is strength in the dollar index and the surge in US Treasury yields. Now the reason why the dollar index and US Treasury yields are going up is because the Fed is expected to go for one more rate hike in the coming month. And there was an expectation that Fed may cut down the rates sooner in the 2024, but which is going beyond July. So now, it is expected that the interest rates will remain higher, you can say elevated, for a longer duration. Because the US economy is doing better compared to the other economies. So, these are the major factors which is helping for the dollar index and US regions to work higher, which has impacted the gold prices. Right, so more sort of basic question there, Seth. So why is it that Google prices are going down when the dollar goes up? I mean, why are the two connected? It's an inverse relationship because as the dollar gets stronger, it becomes costlier. The goods become costlier. And as we know, the gold is a non-yielding bullion. So whenever the treasury yields go higher, it has an inverse relationship on that and it comes down, like it impacts on the negative way. And this happens worldwide, I would assume. Yeah. Only the thing is like when our rupee depreciates, because it's a conversion in the Indian rupee on the M6 side. So we may find some support, like the gold has depreciated internationally by 7.1%, whereas our gold on M6 has come down by 4.5%. Right. Okay, so let me put a more specific gold question to yourself. So how is demand overall doing in India? Secondly, this is obviously as the festival season picks up, demand picks up. How does all of that play on gold prices and will that bring things back? See, I don't think so. There will be having too much of impact from the demand side right now as if you go to see because the demand and supply is almost in the balance uh, always. And majorly, the higher prices, whenever the prices are higher, the impact, some of the way it impacts the demand as well in the country. So, but most probably the most major region is the US Fed, what the decisions have been taken by the US Fed in the coming future. So, to stick to the price side, so would lower gold prices therefore mean that demand could go up a little bit because of the low prices as opposed to other reasons? 
can tell you that on the international side, I'm expecting the gold prices to find some support near $70. And whereas on the MCX, it might find support near 55000 So I would suggest 55000 to be a good support for an, as a buying opportunity. And I'm looking forward the gold prices to move ahead again to $60,000 in the coming months. Because somewhere or the other way, all these things where the Fed is expected to is will get start getting discounted. So that would be supportive for the gold prices in the coming days and the coming months, you can say. Right. So you said 60,000 rupees, right? Per 10 grams. Yes, yes, yes. Right. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Notes on the dollar. There is a very fundamental question. Why is the US dollar so strong? But before I come to the largely one-line answer on that, and which you most likely, if not obviously, know, let's just recap what's been happening very quickly. The US dollar index has hit an 11-month high. The latest trigger for the dollar surge seems to be the fact that the US government averted a shutdown of its government three days ago. The dollar index has risen from a low of 99.6 to about 107, which is almost 7.5% in two months. In the same period, US 10-year yields moved from 37 to 4.7%. So the dollar has bounced back with a vengeance, threatening global central bankers' tricky task of bringing down inflation while protecting fragile economic growth, the Wall Street Journal reported the day before. The greenback on Monday reached its highest level of the year, bringing its gain since mid-July to 6.6%. The Wall Street Journal's dollar index last week closed out its best quarter since last fall, when in turn it was in the midst of a once-in-a-generation run-up. Many emerging market currencies have been hit by this. The dollar's strength has been driven by surging treasury yields as we spoke of, and the US Treasury yield, which is the 10-year US Treasury yield, is now on a 16-year high of 4.6%, a figure that we referred to just a little while ago. So the bottom line seems to be, to come back to that one-line answer, that investors are now more convinced of the US economy's resilience and that the Federal Reserve is likely to keep borrowing costs higher for longer than it would do in a typical business cycle. So to get an expert view on this, on that is the dollar and the rupee, of course, but in a more global context, I spoke with Anuj Gupta, head of commodities and currencies at HDFC Securities, and I began by asking him why the dollar was continuing to reign so strong and what that meant. So we saw that dollar index increased in the last six months, almost you can say more than 4%. As FOMC increased interest rate in this year, so that's why we saw a strength in dollar index. As they are saying that the economy uh, will you know, perform again. However, they are running with some inflation. They are running with some slowdown. But however, they are very optimistic that it, their economy will survive and slow down and for the recession. But however, in last FMC meeting, they didn't increase the interest rate. They keep the interest rate stable. But they are also indicating that they will increase interest rate one time in this year. And also they will cut down interest rate by two times in next year. However, they said that they will cut down interest by four times, but they, you know, cut it down four to two. Be very struggling with the inflation. However, crude oil prices increased in this year and tested the high of $96 per barrel. So this is again a challenge for the US economy. But yes, they are expecting that economy will perform. So in last two days, the US government expected to shut down, but not shut down. And now they are running with the work. So this is a positive for the dollar index and we also notice that the bond yield also increased. So overall, if you see that the instance which the FOMC is taking, so their instance is to be positive and due to this, we are seeing a strength in the dollar index. 
Right. So the dollar index is strong and you're saying that it fundamentally reflects investor perception that the US economy is strong. So that's on one end. Why is that putting so much pressure on all other currencies? As dollar index is the dominant in the world and we notice that due to this, the major currency like euro dollar, GBP pound dollar and Chinese yuan dollar, USD INR. So these are the main currencies which are weakening against the dollar. As economies are expecting that they will also grow, but US is the dominant. So everybody is looking towards the US dollar to getting growth in the coming days. That's why all the currencies are weakening. But the main reason is also is that the crude oil prices, because China is the biggest consumer, many economies are the biggest consumer of the crude oil. So that is main set on the dollar side. But on a positive way, if you see, so the dollar index is gaining a momentum. And due to this, we have seen other class like if you see the equity markets and the gold market and the other commodity market so these are not performing because the investment is coming out from these asset class to the dollar here the dollar index is moving on a higher side which is you can say almost six month higher almost 10 month high level so this is the point where people are investing in dollar index but if you see the actual moment of the u.s economy we are not expecting so much positivity maybe seen in u.s because their inflation is very high, almost 40 years high level. And again, they have election in the next coming year. So that will also again put some inflation or the burden on the economy. So basically, this is a very short term momentum, which we are seeing in dollar index. In this year, 2022, in last year, we saw that it test tested the high of 114.77. And after that, it corrected down and made a low of 99.57. So now it is getting a little bit momentum. And it is retracing the 50%. So if we talk about the percentage wise, so currently it is trading around 107.16, which is the 50% of the actual retracement. So I'm expecting this might be a maximum rate for the dollar index. And I'm expecting it will again on a correction mode. But yes, a very short term perspective, it is getting momentum on a positive side. Right. And last one of a housekeeping question. What is the dollar index constructed of, Anuj? Dollar index is constructed by the five major currency, which is you can say Euro, GB Pound, Japanese Yen, and Australian Dollar, and the Chinese Yuan. So few currencies are making an index, which is against the dollar, or you can say a dollar against the other major currencies. Right. Anush, thank you so much for joining me. Vedanta puts a full page ad. The roughly $19 billion Vedanta Group is in a spot of trouble, and I will come to watch shortly. Amusingly, since I could not think of any other word for it, the company released a full-page advertisement in the Times of India, a general news broadsheet on Tuesday morning, saying it would unlock value, accelerate growth, and strengthen its balance sheet by demerging its diversified businesses. One always wonders who the audience for this kind of communication is, which should ideally be existing or future shareholders and maybe some stakeholders in some of its businesses. Even then, just a pink paper or two should do fine. Anyway, the company reminded us that it would be splitting into six separate listed companies, that's Vedanta Aluminum, Oil and Gas, Power, Steel and Ferrous Metals, Base Metals and Vedanta Limited. It's a simple split, with one share of Vedanta Limited equaling one share in each of these five companies for shareholders, and the stock was up around 3.8% in a down market yesterday. So this advertisement led me to ponder a few points. Is Vedanta advertising its position because it feels that its point of view is not being represented fairly by media? So an advertisement is the best one-way communication device? Now, others have done this in the past in different contexts, including maybe some product failures. But the larger question is, does it work? 
And that's a marketing and communication question. If I were to say over time, looking at similar situations, my answer is no to not sure. Because a story is best told by someone who is in a relative position of objectivity. More importantly, it's not like Vedanta, or for that matter anyone else, releases ads for every announcement. Like they did not, at least to the best of my knowledge, when they and Foxconn broke up over a $19.5 billion project to make semiconductor chips in July. Or let's say, other positive developments. Next is Vedanta telling the government of India that all is well, along with other stakeholders who may or may not have had time to catch up with the news. The government of India, of course, is an important stakeholder in a minerals and resource heavy business. And as Vedanta itself points out, more than 90% of its profits come from India. Now the spot of trouble. Calling it a forced $10 billion restructuring exercise, BQ Prime Sajid Mangat points out that a decade ago, Anil Agarwal embarked on the exact opposite journey, a mega consolidation at its group's metals to crude India business under Vedanta Limited to drive valuations. Of course, the elephant in the room is dead. Vedanta's London-based parent Vedanta Resources has bond repayments worth about $4 billion coming up, of which $3.2 billion worth of bonds are maturing next year and the year after that, and then there is other rupee debt worth around 44,000 crore on the Indian company. Anil Agarwal said in an interview to CNBC TV 18 yesterday that he has payments coming due in Jan 24 and August. We are completely lined up. We have a $1 billion payment in Jan and a five to $600 million payment in August. Both are completely lined up and we're looking for ways to reduce debt. He also said that the sale of the steel and iron ore business could help reduce debt. We had a phenomenal response for our steel and iron ore sale this can help take care of our debt and we believe that by March we will be able to complete that transaction, he said. Maybe there won't be newspaper advertisements then. Among other corporate news, HDFC Bank is revamping some parts of its top management three months after it merged with HDFC. The bank detailed the changes in a memo to employees late Sunday, Bloomberg reported. The changes are all within the system and somewhat expected given the strong thrust towards technology in retail now. So some negative analyst comments of late may have accelerated the process. Indonesia's bullet train is rolling. Indonesia, the other large Asian tiger, has opened Southeast Asia's first high-speed rail to the public after years of delay and cost overrun. The train connecting the capital Jakarta to the nearby city of Bandung can ferry up to 600 passengers at a top speed of 350 km per hour, also being the speed at which bullet trains run. Initially set to be completed in 2019, the pandemic pushed back the project's timeline while land acquisition problems, sounds familiar doesn't it, led the overall cost to surge to $7.2 billion from $6 billion. Safety tests also delayed the railway's opening from August. Now, India's own bullet train, the 508-kilometer Mumbai-Ahmedabad High-Speed Rail Corridor, is under construction and will be India's first high-speed railway line. Originally, the project was to have been ready by December this year or in two months from now. However, because of delays in land acquisition and related hurdles, that sounds familiar, I'm sure, again, the target is now sometime in 2027, with a smaller corridor possibly being ready in August 2026. The original cost was $14 billion, but going by reports and official submissions, delays arising due to COVID and other reasons have sent the cost shooting up. How much that would be, I'm a little worried or scared to even attempt to answer. Though smaller, India and Indonesia share quite a few similarities, including in structure of the economy. An economist report earlier this year said that if you were looking for growth opportunities among the world's 20 biggest economies, two stand out, India and Indonesia. 
the Asian giants with a combined population of about 1.7 billion are forecast by the International Monetary Fund or IMF to be the two fastest growing top 20 economies in 2023 and over the next five years. Both India and Indonesia are in the midst of ambitious infrastructure build-outs. Indonesia has built 18 ports, 21 airports and about 1,700 kilometers of toll roads since the President Jokowi took office. India is adding 10,000 kilometers of highway each year and more. The length of the rural road network has increased from about 381,000 kilometers in 2014 to about 729,000 kilometers this year. The number of Indian airports has also doubled in this period. However, Indonesia's gross national income per person is $4,180 and India is about half of that at this point. Well, that's it from me then. Do log into www.thecore.in, subscribe to our newsletter, listen to our podcast, do send in your feedback and I do look forward to hearing from you and things you would like to listen to. Have a great day. This was The Core Report with me, Govindraj Ethiraj. Do stay connected with more of our coverage at The Core. You can check out our website or sign up to our newsletter at www.thecore.in. That is www.thecore.in. Or follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook as well. Now, we would love your feedback on how we can make business more interesting and relevant to you, including our reporting on India's vibrant manufacturing sector. Write to us at feedback at the core.in. Thank you for listening.